Welcome to Pentecostal Sermons brought to you by Power of the Cross Radio. We are honored that you could join us. You are about to hear a sermon from Brother Larson of Sun Life Broadcasting Ministry. These recordings are from a three-day revival held at the Lighthouse Church in Grenada, Mississippi in 2021. We know you are going to be blessed. Now, on to the message. Open your Bibles tonight, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's start with verse 10. Finally, just like a preacher, in closing and an hour later, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We don't have any strength in ourselves. But God is able to bring strength to us. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a spiritual warfare. As believers, we have chosen sides and we have said, I'm on the Lord's side. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We've chosen to be Christians in a world that does not applaud Christianity, and sadly in a nation that doesn't understand Christianity and in little by little has outed us and more and more says we don't want you. But I'm in this battle till it's over. I'm in this battle until it's through. I'm in this process of fighting a good fight of faith until the Lord takes me home. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Just stop there a minute. Your problem is not your neighbor. And your problem is not someone walking around on two legs. Your problem tonight is a spiritual battle, spiritual forces. And my friend, the devil does not live in hell, even though that's that's the mythical scene we see with the red devil with horns and pitchfork and a forked tail, and he's never stepped foot in hell, doesn't want to be in hell. He's the prince of the power of of the air. He operates in the heavenlies and he works in the spirit realm and he speaks to people. A lot of the things that we're seeing around our country that make absolutely no sense are people being led by powers of darkness. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Ladies and gentlemen, God's Word has given us a strategy for victory over the powers of darkness. And the book of Ephesians is a mini-volume process of how to fight this spiritual battle. 
And I just simply want to travel through it tonight and talk to you about a strategy for victory. I'm not planning on being defeated. I'm not planning on being eliminated. I've written the devil a message and I stuck it on the bottom of my shoe. And I want to talk to you about a strategy for victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to minister the Word of God. And Father, I ask humbly for the true teacher to come, the true preacher to come, the person of the Holy Spirit, to anoint my person, to make teaching and preaching easy. And Father, open up the hearts of the people to receive and encounter you tonight. Give us the hearts and minds of men for your kingdom's sake, we ask it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. And amen. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is really writing a letter to uh, a group of people that he holds in high esteem. There are no specific problems within the text itself where we're dealing with issues such as Colossians or Galatians or 1 Corinthians. And some uh, scholars have even looked at Ephesians and said, Ephesians is the queen of epistles because it talks about the benefits of being a Christian and gives instruction relative to Christianity unlike any other little epistle. It was just Paul's love letter, if you will, to the Ephesians. And I come to you tonight as a Christian, but I haven't always been a Christian. I wasn't raised in a Christian home that uh, fought the battle. I was raised in a home that went to church. But going to church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. There is a heart attachment that has to happen in regard to the things of God. And Ephesians lays this out for us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul tells us the way by which we can enter into relationship with God. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Well, why do I need to get saved? Because in chapter 2 and verse 1, he tells us, you, speaking to believers, hath he made alive or quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We don't want to admit it, but all the world is literally dead to God and dominated by trespass and sins. But those of us that have accepted Christ Jesus have been elevated out of dead and trespass. We've been elevated out of what we were once dominated by, and our lives have changed. Let me tell you something. If your life hasn't changed since you accepted Christ, you didn't get what you need. Because you can't be born again. You can't be regenerated. You can't be quickened or made alive by the Holy Spirit. On the inside of you, He moves and begins to conform you into the image of Christ. He won't let you talk the same. He won't let you walk the same. Now, you can grieve Him and you can quench Him and you can push Him away. But I'm here to tell you that when you're saved by faith and grace and you're freed from uh, dead and in trespasses and sins, there's a new 
new creature in Christ Jesus that just can't live the same. Well, Brother Larson, I'm not a Pentecostal like you are. We express it differently, fine. But I, I don't. I, I can just got to tell you, I kind of like the way we were expressing it just a few minutes ago. But every single person, whether they're Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or even Catholic, that has accepted Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior has been set free from the trespasses and sins and weights and powers of darkness that did so easily beset them. And they were not saved because of what they were doing. They weren't saved because of the church they attended. They were because somebody preached the gospel told them they were lost and the Spirit of God drew them and they said, you know what? I just need to place my faith. I don't know why I need to, but I just need to place my faith in this Jesus that that preacher is talking about. And you walked down an aisle or in your heart sitting in your pew, you said, I accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And instantly you were baptized into Christ, crucified with Him, buried with Him, and raised up with Him him to live in him from a brand new source of power for by grace are you saved through faith and if we're saved by faith tonight if we have entered into the kingdom then we ought to rejoice there's something on the inside us that won't allow us to remain the same. For me, the drugs fell off. The alcohol fell off. The Copenhagen fell off. The, the Brother Swigert always makes fun of me for that. Uh, but hey, it was there. It, you know, mm, and the quaaludes fell off. And the, some of you don't even understand. That, that's 70s, you know. But he saved me. And in three months' time, all of those major externals fell off because I was not trying to change. I was just responding to what's in me. That's what Christianity really is. It's not me trying to become something. It's me responding to the one that's moved inside. And has changed me and makes the Word of God come alive. I got saved by myself 2 o'clock in the morning. And I got on a three-day drunk, on a three-day cocaine binge. And was bored and wired in my area. There was no television. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I looked over at my fireplace and there was this big, huge family Bible that was there for decoration. And I thought, well, I hadn't read it since I left church when I was 11 years old. I might as well just go read something. I'm wired on coke. I might as well go ahead and read something. And I opened up to the book of Proverbs chapter one, after chapter 1. And by the time I got to verse 7, something happened. It said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And all of a sudden, a presence swept into that room. I hadn't invited it. I hadn't been looking for it. I didn't understand it at first, but I knew it was God knocking on my heart's door. For by grace... 
Are we saved through faith? And as I read through those first six, seven chapters, I realized that I was as lost as a goose, that I, was, I thought I had been saved, but I was wrong because I hadn't really cared about God and the things of God. Going to church was like going to school for me. I just went and did what I was supposed to do and then forgot about God until I went back to church again. If that's the kind of Christianity you have today, you don't, you, you don't have what you need. But you can have what you need tonight by simply reaching out by faith and saying, I'm dead in trespasses and sins, but I place my faith in Christ, who He is and what He's done, and He'll change you. And those changes, those external changes happened so powerfully those first three months, and out came all the externals and the drugs, and the, as I said, and then He started working on the hard stuff. The content of the heart. See, we're saved by faith and we're saved by grace. But then Paul said, we need to move forward. In the book of Ephesians, turn over to chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, therefore, I, the, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. The vocation sometimes can be referred to as an occupation. Well, as a Christian, I have an occupation. What is it to be Christian? The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 11 that they were called Christians first at Antioch. Christians meant Christ-like. I've been changed and now... My walk, my everyday life should exhibit the changes that are going on with me. And in this section of Ephesians in chapters 4, 5, and in the first few verses of chapter 6, he talks about how we ought to walk. Our first two services, messages last night and then this morning, we talked about how to walk this Christian experience and the fact that we need to live holy and righteous, but it can't be done by the power of humanity, and it can't be done by the power of the flesh. It can't be done by willpower. It's got to be done by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that comes inside every single believer who's ever been born again. And we keep our faith in who Christ is and what He's done. And He progressively transforms us into the image. Like I said, after three months, the hard stuff was... Really not the hard stuff. The hard stuff was the internal part of me. The attitude adjustments that I needed to go through. The, the love that I didn't have for of every people. And, 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 you know, this is an ongoing thing. Every now and then I look at my wife, Hannah, and I say, I just need to get saved again. And she looks at me and she says, I know. <laughs> because usually she's the one that catches the brunt of my failing demeanor. Amen, Brother Larson. And Paul said, walk worthy of the calling of being a Christian. And we can't change ourselves any more than we can save ourselves. So our faith still has to rest in the one who loved us and gave Himself for us. And as we travel through this epistle then, and we look at all the times the term walk is used, I don't have time to do it, but you can study it on yourself. We come to 
chapter 6 and verse 10 where he says, finally, my brethren. So we get saved as Christians by faith and by grace. And we walk as Christians by faith and grace. And finally, he comes to this section of 610 to the end of the book itself, and he begins to deal really with spiritual warfare. So if you're here tonight and you're saved, truly saved, and you're walking by faith, and you're attempting to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you into what God wants you to become, I guarantee you that you're in the middle of war. Now, if you're not in war yet, we'll get you saved and it'll get started. (laughs) And if you're not walking the way you need to walk, we'll introduce you to the message of the cross and you can start letting God transform you and change you. doesn't matter if you're Pentecostal or whatever group you put yourself in because everyone who accepts Christ is in The covenant in the new covenant community is in Christ. We're in Christ. We're in Him. And I am complete in Him. I'm in Him. Baptized into Christ. Immersed into His person. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. And I'm bound to Him. So as we enter into the subject of war, in the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us a strategy. Now, this is going to sound almost too simple, but I'm going to give you four strategies here I want you to think about tonight, and then I'm going to release you to fight that warfare. First of all, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. One of the things that we've got to do in war is that we've got to learn how to depend upon the Lord. Oh, that's too simple. No, it's pretty tough, really, because if you give us half a chance, our life is all about ourselves. You know, we're the most important thing on the planet. Just ask us. We might not say it, but we think it. We're the one that gets, we do everything for ourselves, and other people get to come along, maybe. Okay, I'll preach over here. We do everything for ourselves, and other people get to come along, maybe. We're focused on ourselves, and when it comes to dilemmas, when it comes to warfare, when it comes to things that are hard, our first default position of the human mind is to depend upon ourselves. So we rely upon what we can do, what we know. Uh, Paul refers to this uh, element in which we live as flesh. And flesh, in Paul's thinking, is just man minus God. So whatever you have, whatever you can do, whatever your education is, whatever your abilities are, whatever your talents are, whatever your finances are, if they're huge or if they're small, we have a tendency to depend upon ourselves. So when he says, be strong in the Lord, he's really saying we need to depend upon God. Proverbs says it's this way, Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. 
So when we're in spiritual warfare and we're trying to get something done for God or we're trying to live for God and we're faced with obstacles, there's going to be something that comes against us that is difficult. It's spiritual warfare. It's something that we're being opposed by. And there's a prayer that Brother Swigert has taught me and I've incorporated and I'll pass it on to you. He said, when you're in a, when you're in a battle or when you're facing life itself, ask the Lord three things. Show me what to do. Lord, show me. Well, I don't know. That's if Those are the first three words you got to say. I don't know. Lord, show me what to do. And after you show me what to do, show me how to do it. Don't stop with just asking, what shall I do? Ask Him secondly, how shall I do it? And thirdly, ask Him to send the Spirit of God by which that which needs to be done can be accomplished. You need to know what to do, you need to know how to do it, and you need power from God to get it done. I said you need to know what to do, then you need to know how to do it, then you need to have power to do to get it done. If he sends you to start a church, some of you have done that lately. Show me what to do. Show me how to do it. And once you show me what to do and how to do it, then it's not up to me. I need some power from on high. I've got to have some help down here. And, and, and we can't depend upon ourselves. We can't rely upon ourselves. We've got to learn to depend upon the Lord. And there's so many of life's lessons that lead us to a sense of dependence. I, I remember when my son Joseph was born, he was born in, in uh, Hammond, Louisiana, because it's there that just about 50 miles uh, uh, east of Baton Rouge, because we found a hospital there that we could afford. We didn't have insurance, and for $1,500, we could take care of the prenatal things that need to happen when the ladies are having their uh, in, uh, checkups prior to the birthing, and they charge us $900 for a day where we would go in and have the baby, and then we would be out within 24 hours. So that was as, as cheap as you could have children without them. It was $2,400, but that was still a lot for us. Well, we managed to come up with the money, and we paid the money, and we went in, and Joseph was born, and everything was wonderful, uh, and he was alive and kicking and breathing and beautiful, and about four hours into it, they circumcised him. Now, now that I know Joseph a little better, I know what happened. He got mad. Well, how would you feel if you were four hours old and people started cutting on you, you know? But after they circumcised him, they said, oh, his heart jumped. Oh, really? And it jumped and was racing and raced for a half an hour. And they said, oh, we need to do some tests. Long story short, three days later, they sent him home and said, we couldn't find anything. And they handed me a $17,000 bill. Now, I don't know what you do with a $17,000 bill, but me, I griped and complained and moaned and groaned. And then I looked to the state and I said, well, I wonder if they can help me. And they said, yeah, we'll, you have a, a little bit of leeway because of your income. And if you turn this into the hospital and turn this into the proper authorities, this 
statement that you have to make about your income, then the state will probably cut your bill a little bit, not much, but at least some. So fill that out and send it in. And we said, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And then I started to pout. Man of faith and power. We just started to pout. And I don't know about you, but if you're ever faced with things like that, that can be a little discouraging. And I remember I was just, I was just wondering, you know, Lord, couldn't you have done something else? I mean, why? I said, depend upon the Lord, you know. And we were in the college chapel, and Brother Donnie was there that morning and just happened to be preaching. And in the middle of the message, he he wasn't even about this, but he mentioned Joseph of the Bible. And of course, that's my son's name, Joseph. And the minute that he did, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and gave me a, a word of wisdom. And he said this, he said, Joseph will be like Joseph of old. I will position him to bring bread to his people in a time of famine. And I can still feel it as I say it today. He will be like Joseph of old. I will position him to bring bread to his people in a time of famine. And I didn't have the answer. I didn't have, but I knew God was going to use my son. And so I don't care what the bill is now, Lord. If it takes $10 a month forever, I'll pay that bill. And gladly, God, you're going to use my son. And thank you. And Donnie never knew that, that that word of wisdom came at that moment in time. A word of wisdom is a word about the future. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And... I no longer pouted. I began to thank God for His help, and we just figured, well, we have a $17,000 bill to pay. We'll just have to take care of that. And I had submitted the help to the state and all of that, and it was supposed to go to the hospital, and now I'm just waiting for the bill for the axe to fall. But I'm okay. I'm good in my because I know there's that little something, that little eight-pound bundle God's going to use it. God's going to use him. So he was born in August, and we submitted the paperwork in September. By October, we don't hear anything. And November, we don't hear anything. And December, I still don't have a bill. And in January, I went to pray about it because I'm a Christian. I pay my bills. Let me preach over here. I said, I... <laughs> I pay my bills, and the last thing I want is somebody sending me a, a nice little letter that says, you've been avoiding this, and we're going to start forcing you to pay. Because I pay, if I owe, I pay. I got it. I get it. No problem. And I went to prayer about it, and the Lord said, don't, don't contact anybody just yet. Just don't. Just don't. We're talking about depending upon the Lord in spiritual battles. And so I waited, and in February, still in May or March, April, finally in May, I still haven't heard anything. He was born in August. I still haven't gotten a bill. And I prayed about it, and, and I th felt that I had the okay to write a letter to the hospital and say, my name is Lauren Larson, I'm a Christian, I'm an associate pastor at so-and-so, and, -so, and we said we, you said we had this bill, and I, 
uh, I'm writing to ask you why haven't we received it? Because here we are these months later and there's still nothing that we've received. I I don't understand it. And I don't want to have somebody, a collection agency, send me an ugly letter and start taking money like I was not willing to pay it. I don't want my credit ruined. And I just put all that in the letter and sent it off. And that was in June and July rolls around. Finally, August comes around. And about the middle of August, I get a call from so-and-so collection agency down in New Orleans, Louisiana. You've got a $17,000 bill and you're shirking it. You're not paying it. I said, no, sir, that's not correct. Uh, we've, in fact, I even, oh, and you know, when you talk to the collection agency, now I know none of you here have ever had to talk to, <laughs> but they're just not kind. You know what I'm saying? They're just not very They're kind of abrasive and insulting because that's, I guess, that's their job. You work there, I'm sorry. but uh. Thank you for joining us today. If you are enjoying the sermon you are hearing, we need your help. We do not sell any advertising on this station. You will not hear any third-party ads. This radio ministry operates by donations only. We are 100% listener-supported. So, we need your prayers and financial gifts to keep bringing Christ and Him crucified to the world. Let God use you to keep Power of the Cross Radio going around the globe. Go right now to www.cross.radio and click on how you can help. There you can donate a generous amount by secure means. All gifts are tax-deductible. Thanks again for listening and may God bless you. Now, back to the message. And uh, I said, well, I'll, I'll, I can get started today. I'll write you a check for $100. Well, you better blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh. So I got off the phone with that delightful conversation, and I thought, well, I guess I might as well just go ahead and call the hospital. And I called the hospital in Hammond, and I said, I said, I'd like to speak to the lady that handles accounts or the people that handle accounts. And it happened to be a lady. And she got on the phone and I told her, I said, my name's Lauren Larson. And I gave her the number of the account and all that and and said, you know, I wrote a letter back in June because I hadn't heard anything from you. And I wondered why and what I didn't want to have happen happened today. I got a call from a collection agency and they said that we owe them and we owe you, and nobody's contacted us about the bill. She said, well, just a minute, and put me on hold, and I, wait, what are you going to do now? You wait, right? You wait. Dirty little four-letter word, wait, you wait. And the lady comes back on the phone in about three minutes, and she says, Mr. Larson, I guess you didn't get my letter. And I said, no, I haven't gotten any letter whatsoever. I just, you know... So what, what's, what happened? What's the problem? She said, well, here's what happened. Your bill was 17000 blah, 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 and 36 cents, or whatever it was, and you submitted the paperwork to get a little relief from the state, like you should have, and we had to move on it by January. We had to file it with the state by January. And we had the paperwork, I can see it, it's documented here when it came in, and we failed to... Submit it. So you won't get the relief that you were supposed to. But since it's our fault and I'm over the accounts, I've decided that you owe us nothing.
you owe us nothing. And I said, thank you, ma'am. And I called the collection agency right back. And I have to admit, I wasn't as kind as I probably should have been, but I said, sir, I won't be sending you a check. Talk to this lady. Listen, you can trust God, but you have to learn how to depend upon Him. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes in the middle of a battle, in the middle of a war, it gets a little confusing. You, you, you get tired, you get weary, you wonder, what in the world are you doing? Uh, you're just not sure, but by the Bible says, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He will strengthen you. Secondly, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Here's the second thought process that we need to adapt to in spiritual warfare. We need to start trusting in the Lord's protection. The Lord's protection, not what other people can do for us, not what we can do for ourselves, but the Lord's protection. The minute that you were born again, and I've already referred to this, but you were placed in Christ. You are existing now as a human being. I know I see you here in the flesh, but you are in Christ. And it looks like we're in the Lightwood Church of, what is it, Highway what? Yeah, Highway 7, you know, in, in right outside of Grenada, Mississippi, that's where you think you are, but you're not. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are in Him. And to be in Christ is really what it means to be in the armor. Christ is your armor. Okay, we've got the silliness going around in different circles that you've got to put this on and you put this on and you get dressed in this and you put this on and you put... Please, are you kidding me? Christ is your armor. You are in Christ. You are complete in Him. You dwell in the secret place of the Most High, Psalm 91. That's you because you are in Christ. You are in the armor of God. You are surrounded by God. You are protected by God. You are hid in Christ. You are concealed in God. And there's nothing that can approach you that God doesn't allow and or or. or You've got to know that you are covered by what God has done for you. Your faith places you in a position that is the best protective custody that anybody could ever have. And you have to rely on that. You have to depend upon that. Abram was, and I preached this here several years ago, but Abram uh, was, Abraham was a man that learned to trust in God, and he had uh, his nephew, Lot, you know the story, stolen out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was captured by a group of kings, captured by men that wanted to take him and keep him captive, but that was Abraham's family. So he took 300 people, and these are servants. I don't believe they're trained in warfare. They're just 300 servants to go face five separate armies. And Abraham whooped up on them, whooped up on the kings, got Lot back, took all the spoils back. You can get back what the devil... 
I said, you can get back what the devil steals from you if you're trusting in the Lord. And, and Abraham went out and he, he got all this and he came back. You know the story how he gave and paid tithes to Melchizedek, a type of Christ. And, and then he's sitting at home and he's, he's, he's thinking those kings want payback. I just whooped up on five kingdoms or four kingdoms and I'll bet they want payback. And he started getting nervous. Have you ever been nervous? Do you ever start thinking about what might happen? You ever start thinking about how you're going to be attacked and who's going to attack you? And God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 15 and 1 and he said this. He said, Abraham... I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abram, I'm thy shield. Can I tell you this? Ladies and gentlemen, God is your shield. When you talk about God being your shield, you can see it on the, I am thy shield. That means he's got your front, he's got your back, he's got east and west, he's got above you, he's got below you. God is your shield. When we talk about put on the whole armor of God, it's just recognize that what Christ has done for us places us into the protective custody of God the Father. And now God the Father should be talking to you today. If you've been fearful about what somebody or something else is going to do to you, I want you to know tonight that God is your shield. And not only that, He's your exceedingly great reward. You know what? the greatest reward about Christianity is? It's not the payback of watching the devil get defeated, and it, but it's, it's actually knowing that I have a relationship with God. Me. Me. God talks to me because He loves me. And he cares for me. And he watches my, my best. The best reward is not a new house and jobs and cars and blessings that are temporal and temporary. That's all nice and there's nothing wrong with that as long as they don't interfere with your relationship with the Lord. But you need to know that he's not just your shield. He's your exceeding great reward. God says, I'm your reward. Me. Just like my wife tells me, me, I'm your reward. And she's right. Amen. So I have to understand that I'm under the protection of the Lord. He wants to protect me with His truth. He wants me to... This is the armor. I'm not going to go through it. He protects the truth that we've experienced. He protects the heart that pursues righteousness. He protects our walk so that it's peaceful as we trust in Him. It passes all understanding, the peace of God. And then when the enemy starts sending the fiery darts, he can quench those fiery darts by faith in himself because he takes that shield of faith and Wherever the enemy's shooting at you, he moves. God is your shield. 
And he protects you from that. He protects your mind, the helmet of salvation, and gives you full understanding of the salvation and how it works. He is protecting your knowledge of the Word, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. But do you know tonight in the midst of this battle that you're protected by God, that you're hidden in Christ, that you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God? He's your shield. When you go through financial, He's your shield. When you go through physical needs, He's your shield. He protects you. In the middle of this battle, you're His child and He protects you. Thirdly, and I've already mentioned it, but we'll move through it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Your problem is not people. But man, do we make people our problem. All we can see is people. But Paul says in this battle that we're fighting, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Did you know, and I said it this morning in the teaching, that we're forbidden to hate people? Even people that oppose us. Our problem isn't really people. It's the spirit that drives them. And yes, the devil uses people, sometimes good people. Peter, after giving the greatest revelation in Matthew 16 that a man could ever give, oh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. A few minutes later, an hour later, whatever it was, turned right around, used by the devil, and told the Lord, you can't go to the cross. And Jesus looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter's like, because he didn't realize that he was being used by the enemy. And even good people can tell you something that's wrong. So your enemy isn't people. I, I, I've, I've looked at what I feel are the true enemies. Number one, your enemy isn't people. Your enemy is fear. Fear of situations. Fearful of what people might do. And your other enemies, your second enemy, are the lies that you start telling yourself about the situations. Fear oftentimes comes because you believe the lie. The devil says, I'm going to kill you. And you go, oh, I'm going to steal your finances. Have you ever woken up in the morning and for no reason all of a sudden just fear hits you? That's a lie. That's the power of to work against you and cause you to believe that Satan is stronger. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against fear. You wrestle against lies. Okay, here's another one. Intimidation. You can't do that. You can't preach. You can't sing. You can't build a church. You can't lead your family to the Lord. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. And inside you go, yeah, that's right. I can't. 
Oh, I can't. Oh, I can't. See, you bought the intimidation. You've allowed other people and spirits to tell you, you can't do what God has called you to do. Well, Candace, you know women aren't supposed to preach. Well, don't tell my daughters that. They're not, but they got that same message on the bottom of their shoe. I'm telling you that right now. But Satan comes along and tries to intimidate us and saying, uh, Brother Wilson, you can't start a church. You can't pass. You can't. You can't. And then we start buying the lie. And we become fearful. Those are your enemies. Those are the things that will stop you. Those are the spirits that come against you, and they all collide inside fear, lies, intimidation. And before you know it, unbelief kicks in. Yeah, they're right. I can't. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The question is, is he strengthening you? Has he called you to do something? Has he equipped you to do something? Then don't believe the lie. Pastor Wilson, Lighthouse Pastor Wilson, I'm certainly sure that Satan has told you time and time again, that new building will never open. Lies, intimidation, fear, and you look at the things in the natural. See, that's what we're doing. We're looking at things in the natural, attacked by things that are spiritual, and we say, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. And we cower under the forces of spiritual wickedness. Your enemies aren't flesh and blood. They are fear and lies an intimidation that moves you towards unbelief. So we have to learn to depend upon the Lord. We have to learn how to depend upon His protection. We have to learn to identify the enemies that come against us, and they're not flesh and blood, It's the spirit world. And then if you're going to fight in the spirit world, you need to fill your horn with oil and go. Now, I don't know in here who's Pentecostal and who's not, but I am. Which doesn't make me better, so let me explain what I just said. To fill your horn with oil means that you get filled up with the Holy Ghost. And you say, I can't, but he can. And you allow him to fill you for the purpose of service, not for the purpose of salvation, not for the purpose of sanctification, because when you're a born-again Christian, the Spirit of God moves inside of you, and as long as your faith is in Christ, He will, in fact, do for you what you can't do for yourself. He'll transform you into the image of Christ, but Jesus didn't send back the Holy Spirit with one job to do. 
There are primary two major functions, the twin works of the Holy Spirit. One is for salvation and conforming us into the image of Christ, but the second work of the Spirit that we talk about is being filled with the Spirit for service so that we can operate in gifts, so that we can operate in power, so that we can speak and the devils tremble, not because we're speaking, but because God's Spirit has filled us and is now moving through us. It brings about worship. The What you sensed a few minutes ago, I hope you didn't look at it and go, when the girls and the team were singing and playing, I hope you didn't look at it and go, oh, it's just emotionalism. My friend, that's the gift of the Holy Ghost flowing through us, equipping us for service, equipping us to sing. And most of us, I didn't turn around and look at you, but most of us would at least tap in our foot a little bit on the inside. We were going, because the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and when it's moving through you, and you're a worship leader, it'll cause somebody to move a little bit more than what they normally would. And so I'm not going to make fun of dead, dry congregations. If they're in Christ, I'm glad they're in Christ. But there's a power... I said there's a power, I said there's a power that fell at Pentecost that equips the believer to carry out the work of God. And when Saul uh, disobeyed God in the old covenant and Samuel started going, oh, it's all over now. God said, shut up, Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. I've already got a replacement. I've got this handled. But he asked Samuel to fill his horn, and it was symbolic of the power and the baptism with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues that'll give us power to do warfare in a warfare that's spiritual and not physical. Ladies and gentlemen, you need power to fight. You need to fill your horn with oil and go, well, that would be that Pentecostal thing. Well, call it something different, but what you need is the power of the Holy Ghost. What you need are the gifts in operation. What you need is the supernatural moving of the Holy Spirit. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It'll make you jump. It'll make you worship. It'll make you get ready. It'll wake you up in the middle of the night with tears rolling down your face saying, yeah, send me to the front of the battle. Send me out to the front of the battle. You can't do it on your own, but if you'll get filled with the Holy Ghost. I said, if you'll get filled with the Holy Ghost, if you'll get filled with the Holy Ghost, God will flow through you and work in you to do something against the forces of evil that you can't do on your own. Pentecostal believers are not better than other believers. They're just people who, and, and maybe this isn't even true by, by putting names on people. We should be spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-controlled. And if you are a born-again believer, you can have that. And you can learn to depend upon it. I, I, I can't tell you yeah, I can. Why I pray the way I pray when I before I preach, and it's not always the same thing, but 
oftentimes you'll hear me say it, Lord, let the preacher and teacher come. My first church that I was ever in that the Lord led me to was the Lighthouse Church, but it was in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, about 30 miles east of Nashville. And my pastor, first of all, because of my past, said, well, we're probably not going to let you preach. And about six months after I was there, he said, would you preach for us on a Sunday night? And I said, I'd love to. So I went home and, and got ready for my first sermon in the church God had led me to. And man, I, I, I'm there. I don't know homiletics from picking up sticks. I don't know how to do any. I don't know how to put things. So I'm, I'm just figuring out what I'm going to say. And I know my text. And man, I'm writing down all this stuff that I want to say. And 16 pages of notes later, I've got it all mapped out. And jump here, shout here, wave your hand there. I mean, I... I just put it all together the way I thought God, you know, I, mean, I didn't know, I didn't, and, and I'm driving up to the church, and I'll never forget it, driving up to the church, about to pull into the, and there was a little hill that went up, and then on the top of the hill, the church was there, and on the left, and I was just coming up that little hill, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, you studied wrong. Now, the last thing you want to hear, <laughs> right before your first sermon, is you studied wrong. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. So I got up into the church that Sunday night, and we were loaded. There were probably was 25 people there, and we had 75 people on a good Sunday morning. I think we almost broke 100 on Easter, but maybe not. But there was the faithful there on Wednesday and Sunday night, 2025, and the pastor put me in the hot seat. Now, the hot seat was that chair up on the platform behind the pulpit, right? That was next to the pastor. Not, not the pastor's seat, but it was the hot seat. And it was hot. And, I, and I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, what is it? I studied wrong. Got these 16 pages of notes. What do you mean? I studied wrong. And the pastor got up and started talking to the people about me. And, uh, and first of all, I'm thinking, who's he talking about? He, you know, it was that flowery introduction type of thing. And it was very kind. And he was a wonderful man, Brother Carl Carpenter, still alive today, I believe. He and his wife, Darlis, were pastors to me when I needed somebody. And I'm sitting there on the hot seat. And I've not just been saved, I've also, six months after I got saved, I got filled with the baptism with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And I'm sitting there in the hot seat wondering, what in the world did you mean? I studied wrong, and all of a sudden I felt it come. From the top of my head to the soles of my feet. The presence of the Holy Spirit. The empowering help of the Holy Spirit. This brings us to the end of this message, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. 
Be sure to come back often for more great sermons and commercial-free Christian music streamed 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If you need someone to pray with you, we have a prayer wall at Power of the Cross Radio website. You can leave your request there and also help others pray for their needs. Remember, it's very crucial that we receive your financial gifts to keep this free radio station going. Please give a generous amount to support this work of God, and we know you will be abundantly blessed for it. Thank you again for joining us today, and may God bless you.